Today, we read a very popular story from the Bible, one that is found only in the gospel according to Luke. Now, sometimes when we hear this story, we miss its element of surprise because in the time of Jesus, a Samaritan was someone that you would fear, someone that you might even despise, and definitely someone that you wanted to stay very far away from. So listen to how Jesus tells the surprise ending from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, well, what is written in the law? What do you read there? Man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them, then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will pay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell amongst the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. May God bless this reading to our understanding. In his first inaugural address, President George W. Bush said, I can pledge our nation to a goal. When we see that wounded traveler on the road to Jericho, we will not pass by on the other side. President Bush was referencing this parable that we just read from the Gospel according to Luke, where two men walk by on the other side, but one man actively intervenes to save a life. Now, President Bush was talking about nations taking care of other nations in times of national distress. And today, on Memorial Day weekend, we remember how many of our United States military servicemen and women have sacrificed so that others might know the fullness of life. Other world leaders have also used this parable. Britain's Prime Minister Tony Blair used it to talk about providing aid to Israel. Queen Elizabeth used it in her Christmas Eve address when she reminded her subjects that everyone is our neighbor, regardless of their color or their race or their creed. So, these national leaders using references, even just a phrase from this story, remind us that this story has become common parlance for be nice to each other, 
here in this country, we even name hospitals and hospice houses and aid shelters and teen counseling centers the Good Samaritan Center. Sometimes when we read this parable of the Good Samaritan, when we hear it referenced, it leaves us feeling badly. We wonder if we had been on that dangerous road to Jericho, if we had seen someone in the ditch, if we would have been the one to stop and help, or if we would have been like the two gentlemen that passed by on the other side. There are times when all of us have stopped to help the person in the ditch, and times when all of us have passed by. You wake up in the middle of the night to a phone call to learn that a friend's son is in an ambulance, and you rush to meet him at the hospital. But other times, you are going somewhere urgently, something very important. Maybe you're beginning this event, and you see a wreck on the side of the road, and you are unable to help in that moment. Is the purpose of this parable to make us feel badly about not being kind 100% of the time? New Testament scholar Fred Craddock used to say that when you look at a passage of Scripture, you should always ask yourself, what is the good news here? Luke writes this story as a part of his gospel, which means good news. So what is the good news in the parable of the Good Samaritan? If all it does is make us feel bad, it doesn't seem to me like it's very good news. Let's look at it again. Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan as a part of a larger dialogue that he is having with one of the religious leaders of his time. The religious leader begins questioning Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And immediately, Jesus and the religious leader find complete agreement in the answer, love God and love neighbor. But then the leader pushes a little harder, but who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells the story about the man who was robbed and beaten and stripped and left for dead and the priest saw him and passed by, and the Levite saw him and passed by, and then a Samaritan saw the man. They saw him there on the side of the road, beaten and stripped and in pain, moved with pity. He went to him, bandaged him, poured oil and wine on his wounds, lifted him up, placed him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him, and then gave the innkeeper extra money and promised to come back and pay the rest of the bill later. And then Jesus ends the story with the question, who behaved as neighbor? So clearly the topic all the way through is neighbor. Loving neighbor is the way to eternal life. But who is my neighbor as the religious leader? And Jesus puts the question right back in all of our laps, who behaved as neighbor? In the Hebrew Bible, the word neighbor is re, R-E-A. You could also translate Ray a number of different ways. You could say that guy or that fellow. In some places, the word Ray in the Bible is translated friend or lover. A Ray is not just a person. It is someone who is trustingly beside you, who shares a common border with you. A neighbor is an intimate relationship. So who is my neighbor? Who can we exclude from our neighborliness? A.J. Levine teaches at Vanderbilt Divinity School. She teaches New Testament. And she says that the real question that he is asking 
is not who is my neighbor. That's a misguided question. She says what he's really asking is who is not my neighbor, who does not deserve my love, whose lack of food and shelter may I ignore, who do I have permission to hate? Jesus' answer comes as no surprise. No one. In her recent book, the author Talu Quinn tells about the time when she had just finished graduate school and she wasn't quite sure what her next career move would be. And so she moved with some friends to Boston and she got a job working at the grocery store. And every night at the end of the night, it was her job to go through the meat counter and look for the meat that had the expiration date that was up and pull all of that meat out of the counter and pile it into trash bags and haul it out to the dumpster. And she realized that she and her friends working at the grocery store could not afford to buy any of that meat. And yet she was throwing it away every night. She never forgot that experience. And when she moved to Nashville, Tennessee, she began what's called the Nashville Food Project. And they began partnering with Costco and Whole Foods and local churches and community gardens so that the one in seven hungry people in Nashville could take that food and it could be shared. And last year, 200,000 pounds of food that would have been wasted and thrown into the dumpster was served to families so that they could eat healthy food. Jesus challenges us to go and do not just think about loving our neighbor. But some neighbors are easier to love than others. In order to understand the shock value of this story that Jesus tells, we need to know a little bit more about these Samaritans. Samaritans and Jews had been enemies for hundreds of years. Although they came from the same family tree, the North and the South had split along political, religious, and cultural lines the Holy Land was split in two, and each claimed that they had the corner on God's holiness, on truth. Just a hundred years before the time of Jesus telling this story, the king in the Jewish region had burned down the temple in Samaria. That would leave a lot of hard feelings for a very long time. In another gospel, Jesus approaches a woman at the well, and she says, why would you speak to me, a Samaritan? Jews and Samaritans have nothing in common. You see, Jews and Samaritans are at such, such odds with one another that they would rather die in the ditch than be saved by one of those. They are not neighbors, not at all. Now, Try to think of it in our day, and you substitute any word that you would like for Samaritan. A, a detestable group. Maybe it's the Taliban. Maybe it's some radical fringe political group in our own country. Who is it that you cannot possibly see as your neighbor? Who is it that you would rather not be rescued by, even if you were lying in the ditch? The friends of Jesus were shocked to hear him say, Good Samaritan. You and I are living through one of the most polarized chapters of American history, and you and I have just lived through a very tragic week. 
just last Sunday, I talked to one of the kids in our church. I said, tell me about the last week of school that you have coming up. And he said, oh, in English class, we have finished all of our work, so we get to play every day. We know that the last week of school is so much fun, especially for those kids in elementary school. But this week, on the next to last day of school at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, violence shattered families. Violence shattered a community, a nation, and the whole world felt the despair and the sadness and the grief and the unspeakable angst. My colleague, the Reverend Emmanuel Cleaver III from our neighboring St. James Methodist Church said, enough is enough. My father, who holds very different political views from me, said, Carla, I don't know what to do. How do we move past the enmity where people are victims of violence just because of their religion or their skin color or just because? Jesus says, go and do as a way of loving God and loving each other. But what exactly are we to do in the midst of all the debates about weapons and mental illness? How many more innocent victims will be left for dead on the side of the road before some of us, in God's name, save lives. How can we be neighbors to one another? Professor A.J. Levine, in her book, Short Stories by Jesus, offers a new way to understand the story of the Good Samaritan. In all the years that I have read this text, in all the times I have taught Bible studies, on this passage in all the sermons I have preached on the Good Samaritan, I had never heard this. A.J. Levine says that this story of the Good Samaritan resurrects another story in the Bible. It's a story that is found in the book of 2 Chronicles deep into the Old Testament. Now, if you're one of those people that says every January you're going to read the Bible all the way through starting at Genesis, I'm almost sure you will stop before you reach Chronicles. But if you made it all the way through, you would find there in chapter 28 a story about the hatred and the violence between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans, we are told in Chronicles, had just captured 200,000 Jewish people from the south, women and sons and daughters. The story from Chronicles says that they took so much booty, so much of the spoils of the people from the south with them back to their own nation. And just at that moment, the prophet Oded boldly stood up and condemned the Samaritan army. The prophet Oded said to all of Samaria, you have subjugated the Jewish people and you have taken them as your slaves. Now send back the captives that you have taken from your kindred because God's wrath is upon you. And then, to everyone's shock, the Samaritan people did exactly as the prophet Oded told them to do. They made an about face. They got up 
And listen to how similar this sounds to the parable we just read. They got up and they clothed all those who were naked and they gave them sandals and they provided them with food and drink and they anointed them and they carried the feeble among them on donkeys and they brought them to their kindred at Jericho, the city of palm trees, and then they returned to Samaria. Here is the good news. The cycle of violence was finally broken. The enemies in that moment became neighbors. Those who had wanted to kill them were now behaving towards them as neighbors. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, they remembered that enemies can still become neighbors. And you and I, we too have these good news stories in our own history, and we too can resurrect them. When George Washington was elected as our nation's first president, he received a letter from a rabbi in Newport, Rhode Island, who asked him, what is going to happen to my Jewish people? Will they still have the rights and the freedoms that are written into the to the to the laws of our land and President Washington wrote back to the rabbi and he said may the children of Abraham who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of all the other inhabitants while everyone shall sit safely under his or her own vine and fig tree and there shall be none to make him afraid. The first president to host one of those sacred meals to end the Muslim feast of Ramadan, the Muslim time of Ramadan with the feast, the first president to host that meal in the White House. Do you know who it was? Thomas Jefferson. And when Benjamin Franklin was alive, he gave a donation to every house of worship being built in Philadelphia, not just those that he agreed with, but every house of worship. And he built one place that would welcome all preachers. He said, even if a Muslim cleric from Constantinople comes to Philadelphia, he will be welcome to preach in this pulpit. We have the stories to resurrect enemies becoming neighbors. At Fisk University in 1866, a college was formed to educate the emancipated slaves in Nashville. But by 1871, that school was facing financial collapse. And so the choir director said, I'll take the college choir on tour and we will raise money to save the university. Margaret Wrinkle wrote about the choir's history last year when the choir celebrated its 150th anniversary. And she explained that that initial tour to raise money to save the university, it, it didn't even break even. It was not going to save the university until the assistant choir director, an emancipated slave herself, said, let's change up what we're singing. Let's sing the songs that we care about. Let's sing the spirituals. Let's sing the songs of the Underground Railroad. And they began drawing huge crowds and raising money. And one day, they were stranded in a rural area. They were at a train station, and an angry white mob gathered around them, 
and the violence was just about to erupt, but before the violence erupted, the choir director said to the choir, sing. And they began to sing one of their spirituals, and everyone was spellbound, and one by one, the members of the mob slunk away until only the head of the mob was standing face to face to the choir director. And with tears in his eyes, he begged the choir director, have them sing that hymn again. The cycle of violence, it can be broken. Jesus says to us, go and do.